recorded during the Plague Year 2020. This is the Andromeda Minute, a show where Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays we go over one minute of the all-too-timely Robert Wise-directed uh, uh, techno-thriller, uh, The Andromeda Strain, uh, at one, the rate of one minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Rick Bowler, a managing partner for Capital CFO Partners, a strategic advisory firm by day and a board member for Texetra, the Texas Electric Transportation Resources Alliance, at other times. Glad to be here, Jim. Thanks, thanks for being on, uh, Rick. Uh, it's, I've known you for several years now, and our, our commonality is in uh, a love of uh, the, both electric vehicles and the future, and uh, making making the future happen a little bit more electrically. Uh, and uh, I'm gl- glad to have you on here because this is a, another one of those tech-centric kind of minutes, uh, although this one involving dying mice and uh, uh, magnification. But there's a, a lot of interesting things going on in this minute, at least. Well, um, I'm really glad to be here for this minute because this, these three minutes are the ones that made me decide that I didn't want to have a career in science. So I'm really glad to be able to relive this with you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so who doesn't want to look at a, at a metal uh, tube for, at, at 440 magnification for hours on end? You know, it's hopes of saving the world. <laughs> it's uh, awesome. It's uh, it's amazing. It uh, again, we're we're back with my 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 favorite plexiglass uh, Ferris wheel, as uh, they've found out that they can kill a mice, they can kill a mouse with a two micron sized uh, alien creature, and uh, this is I think this is the the second on on air or no, it is the uh, third on air death. We've seen uh, we've seen a monkey die, and then we've seen two mice die. So, well, Dr. Dutton is really um, into often the pets, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And he it's, it, it seems like he's prepared his whole life for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, though, the one thing which I'm, you know, I, I guess last uh, minute you realize that this wasn't a virus, at least not one like we know about. But now we're, we're coming into to what it might be. And so I remember thinking... Um, you know, is this like a bacteria or is it a fungus? And I can tell you as a kid, I was really going for fungus at this point in the movie. Wow. Do you remember seeing this in the theater? Yeah, I'm a little bit younger than you. And I was in Europe at the time. So I was probably eight or nine um, when I got to see it. And um, was probably translating it from French or German. So I probably missed a lot of it. But I can tell you that as I got older and after uh, uh, VCRs were invented, I took this movie and made it a really awesome 45-minute movie with my ability to fast-forward on VHS. Ah, yes. <laughs> this would be one of the skip-over parts. Um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's good, you know, it, it's, it's good to, just from a, uh, from a technical point of view, I do like this is, another, uh, this is another minute where we're getting Robert Wise using his uh, split diopter. He just loves setting up cameras and getting a split diopter lens to, uh, there's, there's a couple of moments here in uh, about 32 seconds in, we get to see an isolated shot of uh, Dr. Levitt in the near foreground, fully in focus. And then in the background, we have uh, Stone and, uh, and Dutton uh, talking to each other over the, uh, the 1970s version of uh, FaceTime. <laughs> and uh just just nice seeing everybody uh in focus there the, you know every hair in place and uh just it, it's not it doesn't do much for the story but you can tell that uh robert wise does love his uh, uh his little bits of, his, his, his taking his little hand in uh in cinematography well he had figured it out and was gonna 
beat the movie with it come yeah. hell or high water for sure yeah it's they well they they rented it and they just didn't want to give up that lens so he just turned it every which way um i'm still i'm still stuck in this looking at looking at a a meter wide uh pyramid at 440 which is just I mean, to get across a penny would take you about, uh, yeah, at least 30 seconds. So this would be like looking at 2,000 pennies. Um, it's uh, just just terrifying. Well, you know, this is this is the whole scientific method thing, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Stone had already had his hypothesis and his protocol um, down, and so he wasn't going to let um, Dr. Levitt interfere at all with his mansplaining to her um, how to get this done. Yeah, yeah, and I do wonder if he really was, you know, if if he really was a Nobel laureate, the way she she loves uh, draping him with uh, whatever whatever uh, accolade is at hand. <laughs> well, there weren't that many choices uh, in 1963, so I think he got it by default. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like after after Salk, they really didn't have to care. Uh, I I keep wondering Dutton, you know, we'd seen him at the beginning up in snowy Ohio where he was uh, saying goodbye to his grandkids. What his grandkids would think about how many how many animals he's sent to their uh you know sent back to their maker uh in just his his every days and we don't we don't really know what he does for a living apart from i mean he teaches he he apparently teaches uh alien by you know xenobiology um that's the only thing that we've seen in his in his past so i don't know how many how many vivisections he's performed in front of a, sem, a, a seminar students it's uh this could be just as it's his holiday on ice. I mean, this is real. Well, in the book, I mean, the equivalent character was a pathologist, right? I mean, there wasn't a Dutton, but there was some yeah. other guy who was a pathologist. And, yeah. and certainly that's very consistent with him. I'm killing everything. He seems to be pretty good at it. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's very much, uh, and, and apparently he's done it a long time. I mean, I'm, he's not he's not at the stone level, but he's like, you know, at least upper second tier when it comes to, I th- Stone is more the politician. I think Stone was the one, you know, he, he appeared before all the Senate committees and, and getting the money for all this stuff that they're playing with. And Dutton is more like the guy that has the smarts behind it and can, he, can, he can noodle out what's, you know, how to fix things. He's probably, he's probably worked on human, uh, you know, in, in this day and age, he'd probably be working on SARS and, and COVID and all that other stuff. But I think he's more the smarts. And I think Stone wants to be the smart guy but i think he's more the politician um well he certainly seems to do okay in front of the senate uh secret senate committee when we have the flash forwards or flashbacks or whatever we call that yeah he's uh he he definitely he definitely knows how to explain himself especially why he had to explain why he needed a bomb and then why he didn't need a bomb but i I guess we're gonna get a little little ahead of ourselves there um i i just I don't. Yeah, he he does he does accept more things from Dutton than he does from Levitt, and um, I, I think it's, maybe they have more of a history together, and uh, Levitt is more of a, an iconoclastic figure, so he doesn't really. She she's more more likely to fight him, and I don't think Dutton Dutton knows how to how to work Stone more from like I agree with you, but so. Uh, it, well, if it, nothing it, else, Dutton was the guy that was at least returning his phone calls and reading the stuff that Stone was sending him. He was the only one that knew anything about wildfire and was explaining. You know, he had to explain it to Levitt and their, on their ride to the agricultural station. And we know that Surgeon, what's his name, knew absolutely nothing. 
So you yeah. might have just had a bond because, you know, listening to the uh, quack, you know, quacky uh, emails about xenobiology. Emails. Yeah. Well, Free email, the, of course. The way, the way I would have written this, and maybe we're getting very far ahead of ourselves, was D Dutton is always uh, an enigmatic figure to me. He comes across as avuncular, and, you know, he's the grandpa guy and just very easygoing. But uh, he's more like uh, Mads Mikkelsen was in, uh, in in Rogue One. I have the feeling that he was, re you know, he he knew where where they put all the potholes in, and he was explaining everything to Levitt on the on the trip in uh, from the airport, uh, how wildfire was constructed. I get the feeling that Stone, while Stone was going out and getting the money, Dutton was acting as more of the construction manager. Manager. He was the architect of wildfire, and what I had hoped. A way to twist this, if I were ever going to remake this thing, if I could, I would make it so that Dutton knew about the bomb, disagreed with the bomb, and actually built in a failsafe that even if the things you know detected some problem, it wouldn't set off the bomb. All that all that nonsense that Stone had performed on level one with turning the key and everything like that. Uh, Hall at, at the way I would have written the end of this was Hall gets there and goes to put in the key and it gets to zero and nothing happens because Dutton, you know, holds up a fistful of wire saying, you think I'd let this, <laughs> I put in such a cockamamie thing in my lab. So that's the way I would have written it. Uh, uh, that's, that's, that's my take on Dutton. I know everybody has a different headcanon about things, but that's, I, I, I get the feeling that Dutton really never cared about the bomb uh, because he knew that it wouldn't go off. But Fair enough. Uh, but of all the movies that you could remake, Jim, where would this be on the list? Uh, oh wow, um, it's pretty far up there. There's, I mean, there's there's a lot of it that's really spot on. I enjoy I enjoy a lot of it. I think, uh, like you said, it, it would have been a great forty five minute movie. Um, I, I would have. I, I think this this could have been solved with a lot of editing. Uh, the director's see. cut is actually half the length. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, Robert Wise did start out as an editor, so uh, <laughs> it, yeah. It it's it's just uh, this this might be near the near the top of the list. Things I would have fixed. Uh, the number one movie I would have changed uh, by altering it would have been uh, the Steven Spielberg movie AI. I think uh, if if you've seen that movie, I would have ended it where uh, Haley Joel Osment was in the submarine looking out the window at the uh, the Blue Angel at the bottom of the at the bottom of the ocean and uh that would have been the end of it i think that's it, it just would have been an interesting thing to to let, you know wonder what happens next but spielberg has a tendency of explaining everything so he had this you know and then what happened oh and then uh his robot mom came back and gave him a wonderful day at the park and they did all kinds of wonderful things and he had a wonderful and it's like it didn't need to be there it needed to be a little bit more kubrick enigmatic but that's i think ai would have been what's what's yours rick what would you have changed in a movie Oh, hmm. Yeah, see, I wasn't prepared to. I wasn't ah. prepared for that. So, you know, I, there's so many okay, movies well. where I've walked away like, "Wow, that really wasn't great." Um, <laughs> but you know, it's not like it's not like being able to say, um, you know, stripes needed to eliminate the entire Germany part. Hmm. Yeah. Because um, after they, you know, after they got done with boot camp, the entire thing went off the rails. So, yeah, they they ran out of things to do, but they had to finish up the movie somehow. I I, I can see that. Yeah, it's uh, I I would have liked to have seen 
speaking of Ivan Reitman films, uh, I would have liked to have seen um, Legal Eagles, the original cut of it. If you if you watch the movie with Robert Redford and uh, Deborah Winger, there's uh, scenes that are left in the um, in the end credits that looks like an entirely different movie. And I think what happened was they were filming an entirely different movie. They ran out of money, so they went back and they they cut what they had left to make it work. And I, th I think there was. There's another movie underneath that movie that might have uh, might have been better. So that's not like it would be today, where the focus group would say it's not working for us, and then they just go and reshoot to get something that a uh, group of people said they might like better. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, it just needs to be a little bit more. Uh, I, I like more of an auteur. I mean, I, there's there's things that uh, I know that the the movie Solo, the the original directors of it, had gone for more ad libbing and. Uh, and Kathleen Kennedy and the Lucasfilm folks didn't like the way it was coming out, so they hired Ron Howard to make it more conventional. But I think it would have it would have been interesting to see an unconventional Star Wars movie. Um, but uh, hopefully someday maybe they'll they'll release a super special edition and we'll be able to see that that other uh, solo film. Um, you know, back back to this minute, there you know there are a couple of things here where I was wondering. Um, but these days, how would average people fare against this two micron entity, whatever it is? And what we know about HEPA filtration and um, or even just regular house filtration. Would you be safe in your house or your car um, as you're driving through uh, this little this little town with all the dead people in it? Yeah. Could you could you get a. a could you drive a Tesla through the middle of Piedmont and not worry? I mean, or how worried would you have to be? And then the other trick is when you were servicing your uh, HEPA filter, what <laughs> would, it, would, would you have just captured a whole, you know, super colony of just <laughs> sitting under your hood? I don't know. It's uh, well, That would be the service guy's problem. As yeah. As I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. If nobody, well, it's hard to tell if nobody answered, you'd be <laughs> sure if, if anything had happened at all. Um, it's uh, it's. I got I got to mention while we're while we're talking about all this, how we met. Uh, uh, Rick, you were you were the head of uh, a, a Tesla owners group here in in North Texas, and uh, I was standing online for uh, or in line. I'm not sure which one is the the Texas equivalent. Uh, I was waiting uh, to sign up to get a reservation for a te Tesla Model Three, which was going to be the next the next thing that was coming, and it wasn't going to be available for a couple of years. And uh, you were standing at the head of the line and uh, inviting people to join owners groups, even if they weren't owners yet. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was a good day, actually. We were uh, at one of the balls in town, and um, we're a little surprised that I don't know a thousand people showed up and, and were there at five in the morning, um, milling around waiting to buy a car that they hadn't seen because the announcement was that evening. And um, it was just really extraordinary um, how many people wanted to put their thousand thousand dollars down without any idea on whether it was going to be a cool car or maybe look like a normal you know electric weird electric vehicle. Do you remember yeah, what I, number you were on I, the list? 
Oh gosh, I was somewhere in the I was somewhere in the five, four or five hundreds. I know I I got there I got there an hour early because I thought, well, we'll be first in line. <laughs> I got out and there was it was wrapped around the building, and I was thinking, all these people they've never seen this. Um, I had talked about I I had heard of Tesla, and my son had mentioned, you know, they're they're going to be doing this uh, tomorrow. If you go down there, you can sign up and and get uh, get a reservation and. Uh, so I had actually signed up. I'd signed one for him and one for me. And I was like, do I really want to be putting this kind of, you know, I, putting this kind of money, pulling it out of savings and sticking it on a car I haven't seen. But I, I had seen other, I had seen other Teslas and thought, I thought, well, maybe this will be the, you know, the everyman vehicle and things. And then that stretched into about, I think it was a year and a half later that they finally came out with, uh, with, with that one. But I, I of course couldn't wait. So I bought a, I bought a used Model S and been happy with it ever since. But uh, yeah, it, it's it was a weird sense. Uh, and I, when I watch movies like this, I keep thinking there's a whole lot of people out there that think about the future all the time, but we never hear about them. And you see, you know, you see a movie like The Andromeda Strain, and you think, wow, the future is going to be be like this. People will be talking back and forth on video phones, and and uh, you know they'll be exploring. Uh, Everybody will be interested in science, and they'll be figuring out how to how to conquer uh, alien diseases in a matter of days. Um, and you know that that isn't the way it works out. I mean, people, the video phones people really don't want to answer by video. If you see, do we want to FaceTime? Do I really want to turn the camera on? You don't really realize what the future is going to be like. And there's people that they they pictured what what their life was going to be like with an electric car. And even if they didn't know exactly what the electric car was going to look like, they know. They wanted that. They wanted to get away from gas. They wanted to get away from maintenance. They wanted to get something that you could you could run like a cell phone. And it was just, to me, it was a fascinating, like a revelation of how many people there are out there that are thinking about this kind of stuff. And that would actually, you know, at, at the time, put up $1,000 just to just to make a bet on the future. Um, and I, I think about, you know, it, it's, it's from we've lived in the future at least through movies we've seen what the future looks like sometimes it's not always that great i mean you look at you know clockwork orange and stuff like that but <laughs> but generally you're you're looking at the future and say wow i would i would like to live in that that particular future i would like to have these kind this this kind of technology available to me and i think that's what that's what draws people to to buying things like electric cars so you know some sometimes it's to save the environment sometimes it's you want to have the you know the latest the latest iPhone or something. But I think it, it, besides all that stuff, I think people are generally interested in not living in the past. They don't, they want to, they want to have a piece of the future, especially as you're, as you're older, you might not, you know, you have more yesterdays than you've got tomorrow. So you'd like to have a little bit more of the tomorrow that's coming. I think that's what drew me to getting into electric cars and things. Um, I don't, I don't know what, what brought you to that point, Rick, how, how did you come, how did you and electric cars wind up together? Um, well, certainly the, the technology was interesting and I had, um, been following Tesla for a while and, and actually, um, we had gone to California to go look at a roadster back in, I don't know, 2008 or nine, maybe. Wow. And I, and I got in the car and I didn't fit. I, <laughs> I kind of scooched basically my, my, uh, line of sight was even with the A pillar. So I kind of scooched down to see if I could get under it. And I kind of scooched up to see if I could get over it. And my wife just looked at me and said, no. <laughs> so uh, once I got myself out of the car, which was also a challenge, um, kind of set the whole Tesla 
thing, electric car thing aside. Um, and then was going to buy a Leaf kind of as an intermediate step. And I couldn't get the dealer to sell me one, uh, which is kind of where my um, disdain for car dealers was. Uh, it's the seed right there. Yeah. If, if I didn't have the seed before, it was definitely this. Like, I want to buy the freaking car. I'm like, no, you really want this road. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and um, finally, they, they showed the S. I thought it was cool. We um, have our original S still, uh, 2012, the last car they made on New Year's Eve. At least that's our apocryphal story. And we have a, a 2017 Model X. Wow. And yeah, it... we've got solar on our house. You know, so we're, if we're not environmentalists, we're certainly conservationists. Yeah. And you're, you're living in the future. I think that five, we, and we always say this, five to 10 years from now, it's not going to be that uncommon you know people I, people still stop you in the street when they when they see your when they see your tesla they want to they want to talk to you about it and find out about it. but it's it's this just this urge of being in the future and i think i think it comes from movies partially i don't it doesn't it doesn't all come from movies but i think when people see something that's really cool they want to be they want to be in that future we've all we all remember going to blockbuster and having having to wait to see if you know on a friday night if you can get the latest release and it's not there and now you know you can just you can press a button on your on your tv and download whatever movie you ever want to see right there it might cost you 30 dollars to see the latest release but it's right there if you really really want it you can get it and i think that that's kind of acclimated us to to saying i don't want to live in the past anymore um, it, I know we're getting getting a little bit a field of the uh, of the movie, but this is this is part of the things that that we oh, see is. in you know in 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 watching these things. It's like this this these images that we're seeing they look kind of dated, and you know the tech you know they've got the big hand handsets to to call people on the uh, and uh, you know all these all these push buttons and things like that that we nowadays we'd have a touch screen you drag and drop stuff. But it's how the past was viewing what future was coming for us. And I say, I say this a lot, but this, this is what made the future that we're living in right now, the, the, the present that we're living in. So when you see new boxes coming down the road, like the, you know, like the Teslas, the Model Ss, the Model 3s and things, you kind of get a feel for, well, in 10 years, this is going to be the norm. And the weird stuff is going to be uh, having a having a, a a machine that has a tank full of gasoline in your garage. That's just you're going to look back and go, really, we did that. So um, I think this this all the, the the general trend of that whole thing is we're looking here at the past to give us ideas of what future we're getting directed toward right now. Um, for sure, you think about the stuff which was going on at the same time as this movie was being made. I remember the commercials on TV for fiber optics. GTE had, you know, gee, no GTE. And then imagine this, we have, a, you can send data through a, a string of glass and we've made one five miles long. And in the future, we'll be able to send voiceover. I'm thinking that's pretty cool. Thinking it would never happen because that's yeah. all they had created back in yeah. 1974 or whatever. Yeah, no, it was it was a thr and I, I can remember in in the nineties, uh, Tom, uh, um, what you call it, uh, Magnum, uh, Tom Selleck, had a whole series by AT and T where 
uh, he, he kept talking about, imagine being able to order uh, uh, tickets through your phone or being able to uh, pay a toll without having to stop and give change. And, you know, all these things happened. Um, but at the time, in 1997, I know that, you know, it is, it is a long time away now, but it doesn't feel like it was a long time ago. But 1997, these things were, or no, I'm sorry, 1991 was when that, when that came out. So it was pre-internet, but all these things that were coming, it, it all f still felt futuristic. But nowadays we take it for granted that, you know, you're getting on the, you're getting on a toll road. You're not going to be stopping and pulling over and digging for quarters. Um, and the future kind of happened without us. I, we don't we're not consciously aware of it i think until it's already changed um but in watching older movies like this you suddenly realize gosh this is everyday stuff but for these people they have to you know they have to be in a multi-million dollar secret government uh, uh compound just to be able to do what we do with with our phones every night sending people pictures of our dinner <laughs> uh, wow well uh we've got a lot more to talk about in this movie this week so uh We'll have you back on, on Wednesday to, to chat some more with this. Uh, for folks who, who'd like to add their own comments of, the, the, of viewing the future back in the past, uh, always interested to hear from you on social media. Uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter at uh, Andromeda Minute or on Project Wildfire in Facebook. Um, anyway, we will be back uh, Wednesday to talk some more about the future and the past and, and all the things in between. Uh, so uh, in the meantime, please watch, do the three things we always talk about. Wash your hands, stay six feet apart, and please wear a mask. And uh, hopefully we can get rid of this plague as soon as we can. Uh, but we will see you here next time on uh, the Andromeda Minute. See you all. Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.